Good. Can you hear? No. I got. It. Oh, sorry. The extra mic. Um, Supper. So first, baptism and the Lord's Supper 
was given by God and instituted by Christ. So a sacrament is a religious ceremony or ritual that we go through. An ordinance has this law aspect of given through an authority and established and carried out, a command given. Both of these are in baptism and the Lord's Supper, these two, two things that the church does. So first of all, where in Scripture does Christ enact these rituals that we go through? Where does he actually give this as an ordinance, as a command? First, we want to look at how the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. We read this morning from our text in Luke 22, 19-20. Each one of the Synoptic Gospels tells this important act that Jesus did right before he goes to the cross. And here's what Luke records. He took bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You hear that? That's a, a command from the Lord that they are going to be doing this in remembrance of him. He hasn't died yet. He's about to die. But he's enacting this for them to carry out and to do. Do this in remembrance of me. And then likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. He hasn't shed his blood yet, but he's enacting this before his death, right before his death on the cross. This is his very kind of last week of his life. Uh, he's establishing the Lord's Supper, and he's commanding them to do this in remembrance of me. He's teaching and giving the command that the taking of the bread and the cup together is to be done in remembrance of him, a perpetual thing that the church will do. He's establishing and commanding it. Now the Lord institutes baptism also. Now we didn't read this scripture. We will as we continue to study uh, in the future, but this comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus, now this is after he has accomplished his death and resurrection, and he's appearing for 40 days after his resurrection to his disciples and, and others. And now, before his ascension, his glorious ascension into heaven, he says this Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. It's a direct command. And it's a command from an authority. And it's a command with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, with that authority establishing an ordinance. This is something that the church is to do with that authority. This is what an ordinance is. He establishes that command. This isn't optional. He's, he's telling his followers 
uh, to go and make disciples, baptizing them. So baptism is that ordinance, and we see that both baptism and the Lord's Supper were instituted by Christ. They were not instituted by man. They did not come later through the apostles into the church, and they weren't just made-up ideas. There's something that God brought about and instituted through his son. So this makes them very important. This makes them valuable. Now, we as a church, uh, a lot of times, especially in infants, haven't really talked about that much. Maybe we kind of skip over those scriptures. We see that in a lot of the older writings, they spent pages and pages and pages talking about the importance of baptism. They talked about the value of the Lord's Supper. Uh, some older saints uh, from Augustine to Calvin and the Reformed times spent 90, 100, 100 pages, 110 pages just writing on the Lord's Supper, for instance. And now in our greatest in-depth studies of commentaries by our greatest theologians of today, they write about 8 to 10 pages on this subject. Not that they don't write 800, 900 words on other principles in the Bible, but you might see from that that maybe somewhere within the church of Jesus Christ today that maybe we don't put an emphasis on that like we once did. Maybe we understand some. Has the Bible? Has the Bible? What does, since these things were instituted by Jesus, should we put this kind of emphasis on them? And I believe we should. What this catechism question gets onto is not just that they were instituted by Christ, to know that from these scriptures that we read, but that there are visible signs and seals that we are bound together as a community of faith by his death and resurrection. See, you can have this ethereal, spiritual thing going on, like, yeah, we believe in this, and God's done this in my heart, and I've done this, and I've said this prayer, and stuff like that. But what Christ seemed to institute was he wanted you to go through something that was tangible, that was physical, that was visible, that would explain something spiritual. He wanted you to connect the two. And, and God is all about this from the very beginning when he created uh, the heavens and the earth. And he created this world that was invisible. God himself was invisible. And he made a physical realm of the earth. And the whole process of the Bible is talking about the uniting of this invisible spiritual world with this physical world. Uh, there's a, a combination of that. So when Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, you know, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There's a, another kingdom that we don't see. Let that come down. That for your will is done perfectly let that will be done on earth perfectly. Let that come. Let that world come down. And that's the process and one theme throughout the Bible of what God's doing. So God is establishing through his son Jesus Christ instituting these two important things that all Christians do, baptism and the Lord's Supper. He was putting a spiritual reality into a visible Form that we could go through. And so this is very important. So we see this worked out. We'll touch on it real briefly today that these visible signs are outward physical uh, acts that we go through that reveal an inward spiritual truth. 
we see these practiced in the church. So I want to look at a couple of scriptures. First Corinthians about the Lord's Supper. You might know that Paul touches on this to the Corinthians. Thank God for the Corinthians, right? The church of Corinth. As they were gung-ho about everything they did. You know what else they did? They messed it up, gung-ho. You know, and so we get all these instructions, these two real long letters, and most all theologians knew there was another letter also that we don't have, but these two God saw to be in the canon, some real long letters, and most of them are dealing with uh, some things that they messed up. One of the things they messed up was communion, and we get to see, that's another word for the Lord's Supper, I've been using the Lord's Supper mostly, but as that word, describing this time that Jesus uh, broke the bread and offered up the cup uh, with his disciples. So he's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And here's what Paul says in verse 20 of that chapter. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. And what I want us to look at here before he starts this instruction and teaching about how they're messing it up, what were they doing when they came together? Messing up the Lord's Supper, not doing it right. But what were they doing? What was their intent? To celebrate the Lord's Supper when they came together. So it was just normal in the life of the church for the apostle to be teaching, like, okay, when you guys come together and you're taking the Lord's Supper, here's what you're doing right, here's what you're doing wrong. It was just an expected thing that the church was taking the Lord's Supper together. And you see that in the scripture. Now, he does give some instruction. Uh, I'll touch on it just briefly here. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 21 through 22, he goes on to say, you're eating, and each one goes ahead and eats his own meal, and one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? And what he's teaching is, is that they need to eat before they come. But the Lord's Supper, though it is something that is physical and visible, physical, uh, visible sign about something spiritual, they were making it just something physical. They were just making it, this is a time to fill our belly. Get some good drink going here, you know, to kind of uh, celebrate this meal. But what was happening was there was divisions about that because People could arrive at church at different times. Uh, working class people had to stay, finish up the house, all the servants, people had to have to stay around to do all the cleaning, do all that stuff, taking care of the kids. The more wealthy people that have the servants that run off to church, go there, get there early, start making drinking, and then the poor people show up, and the food's all gone, and people are already chucked because they drank so much, and they're all belly full, the poor people are hanging. So there was these divisions with it. But the one thing that they had done is they had just made it a meal. So when Paul concludes this teaching in 1 Corinthians 11 at the very end, verses 33 through 34, he says, So then, my brothers, when you come together, when they come together to church, it really looked like almost every time they came together, they took communion, the Lord's table. Um, so when you come together to eat, wait for one another. First of all, do it all together. When you take this Lord's Supper meal, wait for everybody, wait till everyone's there, and do it together. There's something very much that, uh, what the answer to this question is about the Lord's Supper, that it's, it's something about when we all come together, we do together. And I 
know some people go and they take communion here or there, but they take communion out and people can't come to church and these little pockets of things can happen. But the overall picture is this is something that the church gathers to do together. It's a way that we proclaim our faith and we show our faith and our common faith together. And so, first of all, he establishes that we come together, wait for one another, and have these divisions of people coming at different times. And then he says, if anyone is hungry, let them eat at home. Fill your bellies at home. Eat at home. Don't come to church expecting this to be your meal. Okay? This is, is physical. It's, it's real. It's bread. It's the fruit of the vine. But it's not meant to satisfy your belly hunger. Okay? So we want to see that clearly. But we do want to see that it was a clear sign and that it was something that the church practiced. And Paul just expected that that was practiced. Now when he goes on and says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 26 in the middle there, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Now he's going to repeat what happened in the uh, upper room in this uh, time when the Lord gave us. Now Paul wasn't there. If you know the life of the Apostle Paul, he didn't get to walk with Jesus while he was on the earth. But this story is ingrained in him and this practice of communion is ingrained in the Apostle Paul and what he is saying to the Corinthians for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So I received something about this teaching of the Lord's Supper and I'm passing it on to you. Here's exactly what he says. He repeats what we read in Luke but he of course you know, does this thing and breaking it down and unfolding a little bit more in depth the meaning of it. So here's where he preaches. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Hear that command directly from Jesus. Do this. Jesus did this. Jesus enacted this. This is the Lord's invitation. Can you imagine writing an invitation to Jesus at a meal with him? That's pretty nice. That's what this is. He's inviting you. This is Jesus hosting a meal. And then you think, well, that happened 2,000 years ago. I'm not going to remember. No. He's asking you right now to come to him and come to him for this meal. He's giving things. It's a, it's a not just a, a doing and remembrance of him that's some far off memory, but it is now a practice in the church now. Paul's telling this to the Corinthians. He's saying, he did this then, and we remember it now. And he says, so he took the bread, he broke it. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you, re as you drink it, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. He preached that twice, that command, the bread and the cup. And then... The Apostle Paul says in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's very central as we're beginning to see that the Lord's Supper is not just the remembrance of, of Jesus, but the remembrance of his death. It is his body 
broken for you, his blood shed for you. It's a remembrance of the cross. What I'm about to do for you, Jesus, when he invites you to his meal, I'm going to give you this visible thing, and you're going to forever practice it, and you're never going to forget me and what I am about to do for you. And they had he had done it afterwards as a baby And Paul has it received to him as he's delivering to the Corinthians and he's saying, Don't mess this up because it's made about killing the belly because it means something much more. Yes, take the physical elements, but not to satisfy your belly to satisfy your soul. It has a meaning and spiritual significance to it, but I don't want you to trample upon and disgrace. And so, he establishes that in Corinth, that it's a proclaiming of the Lord's death when he comes, and it is Jesus that is establishing this taking of the bread of the cup. A visible, tangible sign that you can sin, and, and 
And so grace does all of this. But he, he, he says to explain this, you know, uh, about sin, not what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means. May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So he was teaching about this. And then all of a sudden he goes, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, all of us, come on, you guys in the church at home, just expecting that they know this, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. And then this verse that we read this morning for our text, we were buried. Remember the gospel? Jesus died, was buried, and they rose again. So it means the gospel in baptism. Do you not know that you, when you were baptized, you died with him? Picture it. Come on, saints, if you would. submerged in under the water. Buried with him. You see, oh, you remember this? When you were baptized, recall it. You were buried with him. You died with him, and you were buried with him. How could grace walk in sin?
just kind of like, I didn't know. I didn't know that. Jesus crucified, how could that save us? 
things are going to look for a Gentile in the world, and their wisdom that's not going to make sense. But Paul goes on to say in verse 24, but for those who are called, like if you've experienced the regeneration of Christ through your faith in the cross, for you it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So when you go out, that's what you want to proclaim. Otherwise, you're going out without the power of God and without the wisdom of God. You don't preach Christ crucified. And this is what the Lord's Supper and what baptism does in us. Jesus preached this in his resurrected body in Luke 24 to the Emmaus Road disciples. Verse 25 through 27 of Luke chapter 24. Jesus says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? You've got to see it. That means I haven't talked to their head with that. It's all over for God to suffer and die over our whole movement is over. And Jesus says, Don't you see that you understood all that the prophets had spoken? That it was not necessary to should suffer these things and enter into glory. Then, beginning with Moses, it says in verse 27, that's going pretty far back. I'm going to start a pretty long sermon here with these guys walking along the road. Going back to Moses, and then through all the prophets, he interpreted for them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. And after they their eyes that we will look at and say, here's the problem at work. Here's the problem at home. Here's the problem I'm having in my marriage. Here's the problem I'm having, you know, in life management. Here's the problem I'm having as being a parent or parenting. Here's the problem. And they all make a, a lot of assumptions about what the problem is, but the gospel is real simple in that it says our problem is sin in our lives, and it's that separation from God, and we need reconciliation to God, and when we do that, we walk humbly before our God, and we serve our fellow man, we're able to, husbands are able to love their wives, and wives to the church, and wives are able to respect and honor their husbands, and all these things happen because of all your place, and that one thing happens when you admit that you're just being rebellious and selfish and you're trapped in sin and you need to repent and go to the cross and be forgiven so that you can be empowered to actually love the way Jesus loved. Yeah, that's it. Amen. <laughs> it's, it's an answer to all of our ills. And it's interesting in, in Mark chapter 2 that this these friends, they know what their biggest problem is. They're paralytic, man. They can't walk. That's what the problem is, right? So they dig a hole in the roof. Jesus, and they're lowering it down. Man, we're going to get our 
seeing their face, that's something else. That wouldn't surprise, surprise them. Everybody around. He looked at them and he said, the sins are forgiven. Right? You know, I can make you walk as hard as men walk. And you know what made me feel like all these people around me, like my crowd of You know, maybe they're there for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they're not all just happy and have it all together, but that does they might care a little about you. But would your answer really be being like all of them or like the things that belong to you? Would that really solve your problems? Jesus is saying no. Why? Because that's not the ultimate problem. It's not the ultimate issue. The ultimate issue is sin. And your separation from God. And I want more of it. Over the sin. That's what he's doing. He's showing that he has that. He's come to do that. This is the teaching of the cross. This is keeping what's the main thing, the main thing. And that's what the Lord's Supper and baptism do. They just focus on Christ crucified, everything we're going to do in this, the bread and the blood. But Jesus focusing on his death. All the way, and the church is going to continue to proclaim his death all the way until he returns. They're going to do this not just for 2,000 years like we have done it, but they're going to keep doing it until he comes because the Lord's death will have accomplished the cross and never going away. That is the wisdom of God, that is the power of God. And Christian believers are going to continue to be baptized, that is, immersed, submerged in the water to be put under, placed under, and to be raised up out of that water, and they're going to go through that process, that visible process, to show what God has done in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They're followers of Jesus. Go and make disciples, immersing them, submerging them, baptizing them, Taking them through this physical sign so that you can know what happened inside was powerful, spiritual, and transformation. Amen. 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 That's gospel centered ministry at its heart. That's what Grace Harvest Church is about. So when we celebrate this today, continue to celebrate it. Maybe it'll remind us that this is something we do as a community. Of believers, we come together, take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, take it all together, take it in faith. This has to be something that is inside of me. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is what his death has done for me. This is what his resurrection has done for me. It's saving it's caused me to be forgiven of my sins and be reconciled to God. We want to proclaim it together. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to remember his death. I'm going to remember how my sins were washed away. I'm going to remember how my sins were my sins were like scarlet. But really, Jesus' blood is my blood. Blood is my blood. Blood is my blood. Blood is my blood.
has to change what things did. This is just a piece of bread in the body that brings you to faith. It's the power of God and the wisdom of God that our salvation is working in the Amen. As Paul said in Church of Corinth, he said, in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the Lord's supper and he was praying. Yeah. 
Thank you. 
Sometimes okay is good. I was born tired, I think. I was born tired, and then I came up here and I retired. Yeah, I hear you. Tim, you have a great week. Behave yourself. And I got friends that work for the post office. So I always say no. Tom, I should have done Because you can like pay your bride. Are you a bride? I do, Fred. Well, as Jack Buck used to say, thanks for your time, this time, till next time. God bless you, brother. I haven't heard that say in a long time. Well, Jack Buck died a long time ago. Yeah. He was the voice of the Cardinal.